0: Dear friends in Jesus Christ, we are continuing today in our Advent booklet, so we are at a place where we are touching on these Old Testament prophecies today. So we're going to take a look at John the Baptizer, preparing the way for Jesus, so we're in the book of Isaiah, and then we're going to come to the good news of Jesus' great victory. So we so much need that great victory that he won over Satan, that's the one we should especially be thinking about. And then we're going to come to the awesome blessings we have through Jesus. So these are some really important things for us, some great encouragement for us as believers in Jesus as we approach the celebration of his birthday. Going to the booklet here, we are on day number 13, A Voice Will Prepare the Way. The Bible says here in Isaiah chapter 40, A voice is calling, Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain be made low and let the rough ground become a plain, and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now we jump ahead for a moment to Mark chapter one, and we see the fulfillment of this prophecy. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River confessing their sins so if we think back to that time In ancient times like what we're talking about here when a king was coming for a visit that was well known in advance and special people would be sent in order to prepare the way for the king to make very special preparations so who are we talking about here who is the voice that is calling of course we're talking about John the Baptizer I like John the Baptizer rather than John the Baptist because there was no Baptist denomination back then some people might hear that today and think oh he was a Baptist rather than a Lutheran well no it's not like that John what did he do he primarily baptized so calling him the baptizer seems to fit and then keep in mind we have the most important person Ever in the history of the world is going to come on the scene so it is only right that someone would be sent to prepare the way for him and that person is John the baptizer so who is the king who was coming well obviously we're talking about the very Son of God in human flesh we are talking about the King of Kings what should each person prepare the way it talked in the text there in isaiah it's as if you're building some kind of a road it's like this major construction project and you're going to level out the hills and you're going to fill in the valleys and it's going to be a major major thing that you happen to notice there in the text it says let every valley be lifted up and every mountain be made low we could interpret that in a couple ways. We could say that's talking about every single person responding. And we could also say, well, before I say that part of it, what should each person prepare? We are talking about each person preparing his or her heart. But when it uses the word every twice, the idea is prepare every single Part of your heart don't say well I'll take the most important part of my heart and I'll reserve that for God but I've got some other stuff in there I want to leave alone well that's not what he's saying he's saying to make thorough preparation with every part of your heart with every part of your being that is important notice the passage here out of first Samuel chapter 16 Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Sometimes for other people, we're like, oh, I'm going to wear this or that, or I'm going to say this or that, or I'm going to do this or that. I want other people to see me in that way. I want other people to hear me in that way. Uh, Sometimes that's all sincere and good. Other times, though, we're trying to deceive other people. But God knows the heart, so there's no deceiving God. He knows every bit of what's going on within us, and the call here is to prepare every part of our heart to receive the coming King. I'm asking the question here next, what is the Lord looking for? What is the Lord looking for? Think about what David prayed to God, he prayed, You do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. And then he gets right to the point here when he wrote, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Now we're kind of getting at it, but still we might say, what does that mean? What is a broken and a contrite heart? Well, think about it like this in a, you know, in a practical way for a moment. So as our hearts break when a close relationship ends, how much more should our hearts be breaking when we think about our sins which have separated us from our great God who made us, who loves us, who wants us to be with him forever? Sometimes people don't realize what our sins do. But like in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, it says, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. So we have sinned. We have made that separation. God wants us to understand that. What is a contrite heart then? I thought about it in this way. A contrite heart means that we are heartily sorry as we have in our one confession so we are sorry for our sins and because we are sorry what does that mean that means we are trying to stop all of our sinning like jesus said to the woman go and sin no more and then we are longing to receive god's mercy those are all the things that would characterize a contrite heart. So if we look at the list there, sorry, stopping our sin, longing for God's mercy, if those things are not part of who we are, God is saying to move in that direction. These are important things. God is looking for a contrite heart, and we want to make sure we have that contrite heart. Well, and now we come to day 14. So he will win the greatest victory. We are in Isaiah chapter 52, picking up in verse 7. And the Bible says, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, Your God reigns. Now what do we mean there by Zion? It's talking about the people of God. So this is good news for people like you and me to know that our God reigns. Even if it doesn't seem that way, let us know that is true. And then it goes on in the reading, listen, you watchmen lift up their voices. They shout joyfully together for they will see with their own eyes when the lord restores zion the book of isaiah is difficult so it was written around 700 bc and the southern kingdom has not yet fallen it would fall about a hundred years later But Isaiah, later on in the book of Isaiah, God has shown him that not only the nation would fall, but also that the nation would be restored. So Isaiah is writing about things that have not yet even happened, but God has made it known and he is writing about them. So when it says here, when the Lord restores Zion, he has told Isaiah that Jerusalem is going to fall. Jerusalem is going to be wiped out by the Babylonians, but yet he wants them to know it won't always be wiped out. In time, it will be restored. God is making that known. And then he goes on in the reading, break forth, shout joyfully together, you waste places of Jerusalem now now with that kind of terminology people might say well wait a minute what is that even talking about what are you talking about isaiah here we are in jerusalem everything seems okay to us but yet god knew it would be destroyed and god also knew that he would reestablish it why did god have to do that god had to do that because god promised that he would send his son Into the world through that nation so God had to re-establish the nation for that reason so let me go back then break forth shout joyfully together you waste places of Jerusalem for the Lord has comforted his people he has redeemed or he has bought back Jerusalem Let's try to make some additional sense of that. So I'm saying here, imagine this if you can. So you can see that picture of an amazing walled city. So imagine you are in a walled city. So you're there in the walled city, you're like a civilian, and your entire army is off fighting a major battle, but you don't know how it's going. You don't know if your army is winning. You don't know if your army is losing. You don't know what's going to happen. And you're thinking if my army gets beaten, that means that the enemy is going to come to where I'm at here in the city my army has been devastated now there's no army yes i'm in a walled city but if there's an army they're able to overcome that walled city and what are they going to do they're going to come into the city and they're going to abuse me and they're going to put me to death so it could be a terrifying thing when your army is out fighting and you don't know what's going to happen even though you are in a walled city And then imagine a runner is spotted. A runner is coming with news, and you don't know what the news is. Is the news going to be that the enemy has overcome our army, and you should flee for your life before the enemy gets here? Is that the news? Well, what God is saying here in the text, He is saying that the person coming with news, He is bringing, in fact, good news. He is saying... That the Lord has given victory to our army so we can rejoice in what the Lord has done for us see I'm talking here in a physical way but this is pointing though to the great victory of our Lord Jesus Christ over the forces of evil and that's a much greater victory than a regular army winning over another regular army Well, as we certainly should give thanks for a great military victory, how much more should we give thanks for Jesus' victory? I came up with a little list here of some ways that we should be giving thanks to him. So first of all, we should love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. That is not too much to do for someone who has given us total victory over all of the forces of evil for all eternity. Make sense? Also, too, we should constantly praise God for loving us. Here we are, miserable sinners, undeserving of God's love, but amazingly, he loves us, and also then, His love moved him to send his son in order to save us. What else should we do? We should keep hungering to know and live God's word. Those are ways that we thank him. Those are ways that we honor him. We should also faithfully honor the Lord by giving him from our first and from our best. Everything we have he has given to us So how do we thank and honor him by giving the first and the best back to him? That is proper to do and then finally I put here we should serve him according to his will for our lives here we are living in a free country and we kind of like to do our own thing But the best thing to do though as believers in jesus the best thing to do is to say lord i realize i could go and do what i want to do but because of what you have done for me i am compelled to want to know and do your will for my life these are proper things for us to do and then finally day 15 he will bring awesome blessings so we are still in Uh, the time period of about 700 bc we're still in the book of isaiah we are in chapter 61 now and keep in mind with these words the son of god will not put on flesh and receive the name jesus for about 700 years however though the son of god remember from the sermon last saturday and sunday remember the son of god existed with the Father before creation, and also the Son of God has been active in many ways in the Old Testament. Now, of course, not yet as Jesus, that doesn't happen until he puts on flesh when we come to the time of his birth and so on. But right here though in Isaiah 61, with the words I'm going to share with you, these are actually the words of the Son of God. So he is the one who is speaking prior to putting on flesh from the Virgin Mary. So the Son of God said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Regarding that last statement there, to comfort all who mourn, doesn't that take us right to the Beatitudes? The second Beatitude, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It is so critical to mourn, but we're not talking about mourning over the death of a loved one here. We are talking about mourning over the separation that our sin has caused between us and our great God. That is the kind of mourning that we're talking about. When people go through life and they're like, well, sin is no big deal. Everybody sins. I don't care about my sin. When people are like that, they are not mourning and they will not receive God's comfort. God wants us to know sin is a very serious matter. He wants us to mourn over it. If you think about it like this, if we have a loved one and that loved one dies, now there is a separation between us and our loved one and that makes us sad. Naturally, that makes us sad. How much greater is the separation between us and the God who made us? And that's not a temporary separation, we're talking about an eternal separation. So when we think about being sad over a loved one dying, we should be so much more sad about our sins that keep driving a wedge between us and our great God. That's the proper attitude to have. Well, going back earlier in the reading now, I want to look at a couple other things here. So try to imagine being in a miserable prison well it was talking about that in the reading here but imagine like this guy in the image so you're in a situation where you're needy you're heartbroken you're trapped you're forgotten you feel all those ways so much like every moment of every day well for all who are aware of their spiritual prison and long to be rescued God wants us to understand, that's what we're talking about here in this text. So the Messiah came in order to supply all of our greatest needs. So he came to heal broken hearts. He came to open prison doors. He came to lead the captives into the freedom of forgiveness. So we're not talking here about a literal prison, But we're talking about a spiritual prison we could even say we're talking about an eternal prison or a potentially eternal prison so when we think about what god has done for us here we are by grace through faith in jesus we have the great blessings i just mentioned now here we are though still living in a fallen world what can happen the fallen world can pull us down can make us miserable but what is important for us to keep in mind let us always rejoice in the spiritual and eternal blessings that belong to us through jesus No matter what the world does to us, the world cannot take away the spiritual and eternal blessings that belong to us in Christ. And one day, we will see and we will experience the fullness of them. We're not there yet, but that day is coming. Let us look forward to it. I want to touch on two things here at the end then. I ask the question, what is the favorable year of the Lord? Right after that, I'm going to ask What is the day of vengeance of our God I want you to see the difference here so in the first question we're talking about a year in the second question we're talking about a day so going back to the first question what is the favorable year of the Lord well we're talking about more than a year we are talking about the time period that that is right now and will continue all the way until Jesus returns. So we're talking about that that indefinite time period. Well, indefinite to us, but God very well knows how much time is left. But this time period though, that is the favorable year or we could say the favorable time of the Lord. God is saying to everyone, now is a golden opportunity. Repent and believe and receive my eternal blessings before it is too late. So it's this great, big period of time. However, though, at the end, what is the day of the vengeance of our God? Well, that is when Jesus will return and punish all who have rejected him we see the famous passage here from matthew chapter 7 when jesus said i never knew you depart from me you who practice lawlessness who are those people going to be another way to put it is to take a look at this final passage i want to share with you from proverbs chapter 1 who are these people they are all who hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the lord god wants us to know it is so important that we would realize the great trouble we are in without jesus and we would desire to know the truth the truth is here in god's word jesus said you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free so when we know we're in great trouble he wants us to search out that truth and he will make it known to us and he will set us free so it's right here for everyone let us pray dear father in heaven as we look back to jesus birth and saving work we are rejoicing in the fulfillment of your promises and we are also rejoicing in the eternal blessings that we have received By grace, through faith, in Jesus, in his name, we give you thanks. Amen.